electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanier with David Faber and Morgan Brennan. Kramer has the morning off. Equities do look to give a little back this morning as the major indices are all near three to four week highs. Got some news on AMC, some guidance from the airlines and some good labor data. Uh, ADP near one million and claims below 400K. Our roadmap begins with the meme stock trade, though. AMC wiping out a 20 percent pre-market gain, offering a warning for new investors. Be prepared to lose it all. Plus, Exxon is set to add a third activist uh, board member, at least one supported by activists, shareholders backing yet another nominee from the uh, hedge fund engine number one. As we told you, they likely would. And where are the regulators? Amid the meme stock madness, what can SEC do to help protect investors? Carl. Guys, where, where else would we start but AMC uh, filing to sell up to 11 and a half a million shares. Um, interesting. Pre-market high this morning, David, was about 77. But then we got a hold of this language out of the 8K, which does warn people to be prepared uh, to, to incur the risk of losing all or a substantial portion of your investment. Yeah, well, even here, and let's see where it opens today. And, of course, yesterday, Carl, we all know what happened, as you can read uh, the language itself from that um, 8K where they do say the volatility, the current market prices, trading dynamics are unrelated to their underlying business. Uh, And so they caution you against investing unless you're prepared, as you just said, to incur a lot of risk and potentially lose all your money. Of course, yesterday, this time, uh, you know, we were remarking on a stock that was up 20, 30 percent or appeared to be. And then it skyrocketed later in the day, uh, hitting levels that I think few could have anticipated even yesterday that it would. Uh, But even at this level, if it were to open, let's call it at 60, it's a $30 billion market value at another roughly 10 billion is what I've got still on there uh, for debt. That's an enterprise value of over 40 billion. What do they have? A little They got 900 and something theaters. So you're talking 40 million plus a theater if you want to do it that way. Uh, the numbers are just incredible. They don't support the fundamentals in any way, of course, as most people know. But that doesn't seem, Morgan, to be what's really at stake here. Of course, what is is simply people buying it because they think it's going to go up. Uh, there has been a significant, fairly significant short position. Unclear how much of that has been closed out at this point. I would uh, add one more thing, which is they're pretty much out of shares. They had an authorization to go to 524 million shares with the uh, 8 million that they sold to Mudrick and then the 11.5 million here. They can't have many left. And you need shareholder approval to authorize more shares. Not clear they're going to be able to get it, especially when your shareholder base changes pretty much every day, given the volume in the stock. It changes every day. But we do also know that AMC said that 80 percent of those shares are being held by individual investors right now, which, again, speaks to this meme madness, if you want to call it, this Reddit fueled day trading retail investor boom that we're talking about. I mean, just to go back to market capitalization, David, I mean, that makes AMC now 
greater value, more greatly valued than half of the S&P 500 companies. And it's ripple effects, too. It's not just AMC or GameStop or Bed Bath or Beyond or some of the specific individual names that we've seen major moves in. Uh, it is also stuff like the Russell 2000 Value Index, which both AMC and GameStop are actually a part of. The Wall Street Journal did a good takedown on this uh, last night, actually, just noting that the rallies of those two stocks have helped push the value index to its biggest outperformance versus its growth counterpart for the Russell 2000 um, on record. And that's going to be something to watch as well, because you do have that next annual rebalancing of the Russell index. The news or the announcements around that are going to be happening later uh, this week as well. So in general, this has had ripple effects to other parts of the market, Carl. Yeah, your, your point about the, the growing list of uh, meme names is actually tallied today in a B of A note, guys. Uh, they look at the small to mid-cap names that are getting the most mentions on Wall Street bets. AMC and GME are by far uh, number one and two, followed by Space and Beyond Meat. But there's Zillow in there now, uh, David, Plug Power, Goodrich, American Airlines. Remember that episode from a couple of months ago, Bed mm. Bath yep. and Cleveland Cliffs. Um, as for fundamentals, David, I mean... We keep getting reminded of interest expense at AMC, about $700 million a year. That would put you above 2019 EBITDA. Uh, But again, when we get these uh, reminders from people who are likely on the short side, uh, they say, look, this is for a time... Uh, when fundamentals do matter again, it's clearly not today. No, and we don't know when it will be. And, you know, to that point, listen, GameStop obviously is still hanging in there, right? It's $282 a share. When this all began months ago, there were many who, or few, I think, would have anticipated it would have held up the way it has. It never quite broke. It did, it did fall dramatically from its highs, but then it rebounded dramatically as well. As you take a look <laughs> at that stock, not far really off of those levels that we saw. Uh, well, that's, yeah, back in... Uh, February. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on this. You know, for its part, GameStop has been able to raise some capital, say it's changing its business to more of a growth orientation. AMC's ability to raise capital here may help it. But again, back to that authorization, they can't raise quite enough to be able to raise enough to pay down all that debt. Um, Let's move on to another part of the story, of course, which is regulators and the meme stocks as well as that volatility continues. Amy Lynch is a former SEC regulator, now the founder of Frontline Compliance. And Amy, just weigh in for us here in terms of whether there even is a compliance slash regulatory framework to this. Uh, you know, is there something to be looked at or have we already gone through this given we saw it happen with GameStop a number of months ago? Good morning, David. Thanks for having me back on the show today. And yes, here we are again. Uh, When we last spoke in January, we were talking about GameStop and the run up there with that security. And now we're here again and we are talking about AMC. And at first, I think the past few weeks, it was looking very similar what was happening with AMC um, in relation to what happened to GameStop in January. But now we've had just in the past few days, we've had some significant changes And that, of course, is with the offerings that were announced. So first, we had the special offering with Mudrick Capital, which occurred a couple days ago. And now we have the offering that was just announced this morning to the general public. So um, there are definite differences now between what is happening with the AMC trade versus the GameStop trade. Yeah. uh, But does any of it mean that there's going to be more regulatory scrutiny or is AMC doing what it should do? I mean, it's raising capital to the extent it can within its authorization. 
given the run up in its stock. Uh, and they've done successfully so, by the way, many times during the course of this period. You know, is there anything that we've learned from what we saw in GameStop or that's new to this situation that you believe rises to the level where the SEC is going to be taking a closer look? Well, one thing I can say that they did was very smart was when they put out their 8K, as you mentioned before in your show, is that they were disclosing to investors that this is a highly uh, risk, a high risk investment. They could lose all of their money. Uh, They should not be investing or buying these shares because of the volatility. So they really did try to cover their bases as far as their disclosures to investors in this offering. And that was a huge, um, you know, big piece of disclosure for all of those Reddit traders out there to basically warn them and say, listen, you should not be purchasing these shares at these prices. You can lose all of your money. And the SEC is very concerned about that. And of course, their their mandate is to protect protect the uh, retail investors. So they like to see those disclosures. And I think that the fact that they put that language very explicitly in bold print in their filings does go a long way to protect them with this offering. Amy, I wonder, you know, speaking of disclosure, uh, this new platform that AMC rolled out this week uh, to connect with retail investors, uh, giving them some promotional materials, uh, popcorn, uh, you know, invitations to screening, but also the ability to communicate more directly with management. Does that raise eyebrows from a disclosure standpoint or, or not? Well, it's interesting that they're doing that. Uh, I actually went to the website myself for that amcstubs.com, I believe it is, that you can sign up as a as a shareholder to uh, get your free popcorn. And I, I think this is just a promotional campaign. That's what it looks like. So I don't know how meaningful that part of, of their offering is really going to be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's very new. Yeah, I mean, it certainly speaks to the fact that some of these individual investors are also prospective customers for a company like AMC, um, Amy. Uh, I'm curious, though, given the comments that we got from SEC Chief Gensler not that long ago about him saying that he's in favor of reducing the standard settlement period, um, that's obviously got broader implications to the market writ large. But given the fact that we are having these conversations about these retail investor fueled spikes in in certain stocks and what we saw play out with Robinhood, for example, earlier in the year around GameStop. Is that something that could actually be yielded from all the market activity we are seeing in some of these meme themed trades? Well, shortening the settlement period will go a long way towards the margin requirements, the collateral requirements that the brokerages like the Robinhoods have to maintain for DTCC purposes. So, yes, that will definitely um, add more plumbing to the market, so to speak, and, and really be helpful to the, the large uh, players in these stocks that have to hold those securities on hand so they can provide them to their customers. So that would um, be a big win for the industry if they could shorten the settlement period for sure. And I'm just curious what you think. I'm sort of shifting gears here a little bit, Amy, but all the reports we're getting about Elon Musk and the dynamic there with the SEC on Twitter, um, how that plays out not only for that company, but also just what we're seeing again in general in the midst of all this social media fueled trading uh, in terms of disclosures, comments, material information that is going on on the social media sites. 
Right. So what's interesting about that? Actually, the SEC has come out with changes to its advertising role. Now, this is specific to investment advisors, the advertising role. But one thing they did address in that role is the uh, use of social media and testimonials, for example. And they may actually take from that role in the future and address social media more in general. And it would be interesting to see if they decide to do that, because as you just stated, Morgan, between Elon Musk and now I believe the CEO of AMC has also tweeted uh, some comments out to the industry regarding its its um, its moves and intentions with its with its stock offerings. So can these CEOs move their stock? We, we've actually seen that they can. And what kind of control should the SEC put around that? As we know, back in 2018, Elon Musk got into trouble with the SEC for doing just that, for tweeting about the stock price of Tesla. So that has been, however, hard for the SEC to enforce because he's continued to to tweet about his companies over the years. And they put out additional letters to him and, and to Tesla regarding his tweeting activity because his tweets were supposed to be monitored by counsel and reviewed by counsel before they were, were released. And it certainly doesn't seem to be the case that that's actually happening. So it will be interesting, again, to see if they decide how to handle the AMC situation, if they deem any tweets made by that CEO to be along the same lines of what Mr. Musk was doing. All right, Amy, uh, appreciate you taking time. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Amy Lynch. Carl? Uh, guys, um, we're going to talk after the break. Uh, David, I don't know if you're seeing this. Morgan as well. Uh, some guidance out of GM, guiding higher than prior, significantly higher in their view, and boosting some truck production, Morgan, and canceling some scheduled downtime. It does appear, and we'll talk with Phil LeBeau in a moment about this, maybe they're getting some hands around uh, the chip shortage that has obviously bedeviled all kinds of automakers. Yeah, this is going to be the key thing to watch. Certainly we've seen it show up in macro data as well, including just earlier this week, this chip shortage. Uh, and we've seen and we've heard conflicting uh, comments from many different CEOs across many different industries. I just think back to Intel earlier this week talking about how long that shortage could actually last. But perhaps for the companies that are able to <laughs> that are able to uh, secure that inventory, um, you know, it's a, it's good news, Carl. Yeah. Let's dig into GM. We're, we're looking for auto sales today. There's some very cool aviation news today. Oh, yeah. uh, let's bring in Phil LeBeau. Morning, Phil. Good morning, uh, Carl. Take a look at shares of General Motors, the stock moving higher after the company updated its guidance for what it plans to earn in the first half of this year. The company now saying that it expects to do significantly better than its previous guidance. Just for a point of reference, its previous guidance was the expectation of earning $5.5 billion in the first half of this year. Remember, they made $4.4 billion in the first quarter. So the expectation was a little over a billion in Q2. They're now saying, look, they're going to do significantly better than that, though they're not putting a number on it. As for the full year guidance, that is not changing. This is all because the company is now a little bit more comfortable with uh, the cadence of vehicle deliveries uh, when it comes to getting out, especially mid-sized pickup trucks. They're also going to be building more super-duty pickup trucks. And we've talked over the last couple of weeks how they're bringing back production at a number of plants. So 
It is an improving situation when it comes to the chip supply and, more importantly, the management of their semiconductor supply. That's allowing them to do this. And, again, General Motors up a little more than 3%. By the way, we're going to hear from Mary Barra as well as CFO Paul Jacobson a little bit later on today uh, at an analyst conference. Also take a look at shares of Ford, the company out with its May uh, deliveries and the company saying that its May sales included an increase of 4.1%, the best May for SUV sales since 2003. And for the first half of this year, all the way up through May, its F-Series deliveries are up 4.3%, a little bit of a tick higher for Ford. So encouraging news from two of the big three. Guys, back to you. All right, Phil, uh, we'll check back on, with you on this a little bit later on this morning, I'm sure. That's our Phil LeBeau on GM. We'll take a break here. We'll talk uh, some Exxon engine number one with Faber after the break. And we'll talk about some of the labor data we got today. Pretty encouraging on both claims and ADP and what that may mean for the jobs number tomorrow. Don't go away. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Hedge fund engine number one has gained a third seat on the ExxonMobil board of directors. The small fund campaigned on environmental concerns, ESG, of course, the idea that Exxon is simply not doing enough to address uh, that in its business. CEO Darren Woods issued a statement saying he looked forward to working with the new directors. We covered this, of course, uh, last week, uh, and I've been reporting that it was likely, uh, likely that uh, Mr. Karsner, Alexander Karsner, would be added to the board. This is still a preliminary count, but it does appear that is going to be the case with ExxonMobil at least confirming that. We haven't gotten the final account there. But there's a look at the three new directors. Really almost hard to have imagined uh, that this would have occurred, particularly in light of the fact that Exxon not that long ago settled with uh, D.E. Shaw and added two members to its board, uh, Jeffrey Ubbin and Mike Angelakis. 
And many thought, all right, they've done what they were needed to do. Uh, this is not going to result in any further changes. How wrong anybody who believed that was. By the way, Angela Kassanubin did receive the most votes. So interesting. Those brand new directors received the most votes going down the list in terms of uh, all directors, Morgan. But, you know, can't understate the significance of this in some ways. We still have to sort of see what the ramifications are. How much was Exxon specific, as I've said many times, in terms of perhaps a deeper discontent with the company amongst its shareholder base than had been fully recognized um, because of a history of sort of not communicating particularly well. And how much of this really is reflective of just the changes in, frankly, capitalism mm. in terms of the importance of ESG, even from a profitability standpoint or a standpoint of giving up some profitability to get your business in a different place with the prospect that you will ultimately benefit. But it was seismic. Uh, and it is three board members, something that was hard to imagine when this campaign began. It's so incredible to me. I mean, it was only a couple years ago that I don't think anybody would have imagined doing this to an ExxonMobil, maybe another energy company. Um, but I also think it kind of speaks to, David, the fact that you are in general seeing this bigger fundamental shift among energy companies, at least U.S. energy companies, to be more focused on the financials, more focused on cash flow, uh, being profitable, et cetera. Uh, we heard about that from Pioneer Natural Resources a couple weeks ago as well. And, of course, the shift to cleaner, greener energy and sort of reinventing themselves in the midst of what's expected to be how long. That's up for debate. But the secular shift to new sources of energy, new sources of fuel, um, it, it's just Again, it's just fascinating to see that Exxon would be in this position. Amazing. With a, a shareholder owned 0.2 percent, virtually nothing, 40 million bucks, obviously did have support, significant from support from CalSTRS and the like. Carl, the next part of this story is what the response will be from uh, CEO Darren Woods. He did join us any number of times in recent weeks talking about mm. uh, what he is changing at the company and the track that they're going down now. Um, and it will be interesting in terms of whether he is even more responsive now uh, and or I shouldn't say responsive uh, changes even more in, in terms of what they've been following. You also got to wonder what this does, how it fits into this bigger picture around energy prices in general, as we do continue to have this inflation yep. debate, Carl, um, because you look at this, you look at production numbers going down here in the U.S. Yes, we can talk about OPEC as well, but also just the inventory declines as the global economy reopens. And you've got to think all of this factors into longer term, more supportive dynamic for energy prices as we do have that conversation about higher prices in general in the world. Yeah. And, and uh, some worries about real shortages and super yeah. cycles in uh, traditional energy in the near term as we try to turn, obviously, a massive ship and, uh, and migrate to a, a, a more electrified, for example, uh, global economy. We'll take a break here, guys. Uh, futures are down a little bit. Um, as we said at the top of the show, we got the Dow at the highest since May 10, S&P highest since May 7, NASDAQ highest since May 3. We're back in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Take a look at some of the Wall Street bets, Reddit, meme names, AMC down about 5% here. Pre-market high, as we said earlier, was $77, giving up uh, quite a bit there as they do file to sell up to 11.5 million shares. 
with some interesting language in the AK. FT did a piece uh, saying it's no coincidence that some of these meme names have rallied as crypto has collapsed. More squawk on the street at the opening bell in about five minutes. As we count down to the opening bell, let's bring in our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, back at the big board this morning. Uh, Mike, uh, looking great, and we can't wait to join you down there in a couple of days. Yeah, all systems go here, Carl. Uh, we'll have it all ready for you. Uh, I did want to ask you about um, sort of the sleepy action uh, that we've seen last few sessions, uh, five sessions or so. The, the open to close swing has been no greater than about 19 basis points. Yeah, it's been uncommonly calm uh, for a while right now. In fact, you go back six weeks, we were at these levels. Uh, I think the big debate was, well, is this kind of a, a waning energy in the market, meaning that we're at the top end of a trading range, or is it just kind of regrouping and gathering up uh, strength for another push higher? It's not been clear. I think it was like 55-45 probability that it was maybe gearing up to break higher just because... Uh, breath has been good, and you have more stocks going up than down. But obviously, today might challenge that idea. Right. Um, do you think the uh, the meme story has uh, changed at all, uh, given that it's clearly evident now that uh, AMC is going to be looking to leverage whatever action they get to the upside from that community? Yeah, I don't know if that specifically is going to be the thing that changes it, but when they stocks go vertical like this and pile on tens of billions of market cap, they're just going to get unstable. The options volume is too much. All the friction about the the, uh, the hedging and everything gets too crazy. So I do think it's going to be tested today. All right, there's the opening bell. Uh, some confetti at the Nasdaq. Uh, breath not so great at the open. David, doesn't that sound of the background noise bring back memories? Yes, memories and soon to be our uh, our present, right, Carl? Yeah. Um, as well. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's coming. The day is coming for uh, for all of us. <laughs> all of us. Yes. Um, AMC shares <laughs> down about uh, well, let's call it. I don't know. You know, uh, is Mike still with us? Yeah, he's there. Look, yeah, I see okay. him in that bottom box. I mean, Mike, the volume in some of these names is incredible. Yeah. And by the way, some of them start trading at three thirty four in the morning. I mean, it's a global phenomena. Um, and it's not just AMC, you know, names like BlackBerry also, which was drawn in yeah. the first time to the meme craze. They're kind of going after that one again, too. It's up 24 yep. percent. You can see it right there. But uh, the volume numbers are amazing. Yeah, viral networks never sleep. Um, and I do think what you have is, a, is an infrastructure here where you have systems that just they hunt for momentum and they hunt for rapid movement and they hunt for what I would call kind of idiosyncratic flows into specific stocks. What that means is it's just uh, for some reason it just erupts and you all of a sudden get tremendous short-term price changes. And when AMC yesterday trades over 760 million shares, only 500 million exist. It's the same machines batting these shares back and forth all day in a massive range. The average price paid for AMC yesterday was above $50 a share. It traded 40-something billion uh, dollars worth of the stock. That's just an intense concentration of action going on right there. And I think it's one reason why I think we should ease back from saying somehow this is purely a short squeeze. Ninety five million shares were short at last report. If nobody on a net basis covered, it only accounts for one eighth of yesterday's volume. It's not really what's happening, but it's part of the motivating story that keeps people involved and keeps people believing that there's a reason why this stock should go up further, even though 
even by the company's assessment, it's totally become detached from the business. Yes, and totally for the win with some key context right there. But I do wonder, Mike, um, the debate is gaining momentum around how this speaks to, and we could talk about whether it's pockets of speculation or if it's one-off stocks, et cetera, but how it speaks to, in general, all of the excess liquidity in the market right now in general and all of the risk-taking uh, that be- has been afoot given what we've seen in terms of Fed policy. And then, of course, you layer the fiscal stimulus on top of it right now and, and what that means for broader market action, especially if we get, for example, um, either a hotter or a weaker-than-expected jobs number tomorrow. I think it's part of the backdrop. It's part of how people explain to themselves why it might make sense to take more risk because you do have credit markets incredibly medicated right now, or not even really medicated, they're just strong. Um, and so you, I, I think it's, yeah, you have $1,400 checks hit a lot of accounts that maybe didn't have an immediate need for. I'm on board with the idea that that creates the perception uh, that money is, is basically costless and you can, you can throw it around. But I also think that these things are more uh, hard to explain. The phenomenon is not strictly about some kind of quantity of money that's out there and therefore it's going to you know, spill into these areas. When we were in the late 90s bubble, uh, you had, you know, 10-year Treasury yields at 6%. Uh, the Fed was tightening for parts of that in, uh, starting, in, you know, in 2000 and even before that, uh, before 1997. So in other words, you know, I think it just builds on itself. It's a crowd psychology thing a lot more than it is somehow some rule of nature about the quantity of money. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think that that's why it's, it's tough to decide when it's going to start to erupt and, and when it's going to, uh, to stop. Also, what's fascinating is the core market is really acting in lockstep with a lot of the macro story, right? You see when yields go up, financials go up, the industrials are leading. You see you know, all these things that are happening that should happen by way of textbook is happening for the vast majority of the market cap. It's kind of these sideshows that really uh, are the anomaly. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, that's such a key point, Mike. Um, and I mean, we're just looking at the market right now. S&P is down about six tenths of a percent, 4183. The Nasdaq is the underperformer. It's down about eight tenths of a percent right now. The Dow's down about half a percent. In general, we've been sort of in this tight trading range, which I know you've been talking about for so many weeks yeah. now. Um, but I, I do wonder, because this is something else we've discussed over the months, is whether we are seeing increasing similarities to the late 90s, early 2000s as well, just looking at some of the dynamics that are coming to play in the market. There's no doubt that there are echoes of, of that kind of activity, where it's, whether it's the, the individual trader feeling much more empowered than the entrenched professionals, whether it's even these sort of formal or informal trading groups. They're, they're the virtual equivalent today of the old day trading parlors. Uh, yeah. They happen online. They happen on Discord or Twitch or something like that. Or there's these proper. That's a very, very big piece of the story today that hasn't necessarily been the case in the last decade. So there are pieces of it. But what's fascinating right now is the economy is sort of like speeding into like some mid-cycle type condition in terms of labor conditions and and corporate margins and and all the rest of it. Whereas you have the the risk taking and maybe arguably valuations look like they're a little more late cycle. So I think it's pretty it's pretty unusual to have that blend. It's been the case for almost a year now. So, Mike, then, what are you watching? Mike, um, Go ahead, Carl. No, Mike, I was going to ask you about, you know, speaking of the jobs number tomorrow, 
you know, ADP, although uh, obviously has to now come with multiple grains of salt given its record, uh, it is the biggest rise in ADP since June of last year. And if tomorrow's number uh, sort of ratifies it, I do wonder, is it then clear that Powell truly initiates a taper discussion on the 16th? And is that what moves us away from 1-6 on the 10-year and away from 4,200? I think that's definitely what people are, are bracing for or poised for or anticipating, that there is a, a, an upside risk to tomorrow's number, perhaps, because we also are expecting some payback from uh, what were disappointing numbers last month. So, yes, you, you have that as a precondition. I don't think it means that uh, it's going to change the overall setup uh, in Powell's mind or in the committee's mind uh, in mid-month because they've kind of been expecting some tr strong job numbers. They're still going to be able to say we're still not quite toward our goals. But without a doubt, they've been laying the groundwork with some members out there in the lead saying, of course, we have to acknowledge what's actually happening in the economy. Of course, we have to acknowledge, you know, overheating in, in areas like housing and seeing if we have to start to discuss a taper. Last night's move very much off to the side, but with the Fed deciding to let some of the corporate bond holdings roll off right now. Uh, I'm not sure it was intended as a prelude, but it's going to create the sense out there that they are at least kind of examining why they're doing what they're doing and whether it still makes sense in the current uh, environment. Yeah, talking about talking about tapering is the way I yeah. continue to see it surmised. Um, Mike, it's more than a half, we're more than halfway through the first hour of Squawk on the Street. We still haven't talked about cryptocurrency. So let's bring that yeah. up. Bitcoin, Ethereum are higher. Dogecoin's been getting all the attention again, given what we're seeing in terms of that moving closer to being able to be traded on Coinbase as well. I mean, that in of itself goes back to the whole meme debate that we're having. It does. It's sort of indecipherable exactly how much of the same type of, uh, of players and activity is migrating between these two things. But it's hard to ignore the fact that when crypto cracked from, from the recent highs, it did seem to coincide with the restart of, uh, of some of the meme stuff. I still think you're looking at charts on something like Bitcoin, where everyone is saying, and charts are the way people mostly uh, kind of assess what's happening there, mm -hmm. and, and say, it still looks kind of broken. It's going to have to really prove that it can get back up toward you know, 50,000 or something like that before it changes, but you're going to trade around that range <clears> all day. And then the, the Coinbase Doge thing yesterday, you know, a nice little excuse to, to, to sort of restart that game as well. Did want to uh, point out uh, the two leaders uh, on the S&P, which, uh, as Morgan noted, is down right now, are GM and Ford. We got that news from Fullabo earlier, but we're taking another look at, uh, at there they are, at GM and Ford, GM shares in particular. The company's saying it expects its first half results will be significantly better than prior guidance. Uh, and they also say they're optimistic about the full year. Of course, we've talked a great deal about the semiconductor shortage in particular what it means for the automobile industry. Uh, and GM says that its ongoing efforts to prioritize semiconductor usage, its success engineering solutions that maximize the utilization of chips, as well as the pull ahead of some projected semiconductor deliveries into the second quarter, are one of the reasons why, or the key reasons why it expects now its first half financial results will be significantly better than the first half guidance that the company previously uh, had given the marketplace. You can see the response there. Ford shares, for their part, also up about 2% right now, Morgan. Both have, of course, vastly outperformed shares of Tesla, the far larger automaker, mm -hmm. by market capitalization, which is down again and down about 15% so far this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what all of this does to used vehicle prices, too, because, Mike, as we've been talking about, um, that has been a big propeller 
of what we've seen in, in terms of the macro in inflation data, the, the pricing reads that we've seen in the last couple of weeks as well. You start to see some of these production lines power back up to full capacity, more acquisition of semiconductors and some of the other necessary um, materials to, to create more autos. You, you got to think, I would have to think that that is going to start to maybe help create a more transitory, to use a Fed word, transitory impact uh, on the vehicle market. Yeah, if you looked at the, the, the angle of that chart of used car prices, the used car price index, uh, back when it was, you know, feeding into the CPI last month, there's no way that's sustainable. The question is how long until it comes off. And it's interesting. You have GM here implicitly kind of flexing its kind of supply chain management, uh, basically say, hey, we're a 100-year-old company. We've been around. We can figure this stuff out. Uh, there's also a lot of talk of, you know, double ordering because everyone knows there's a shortage. So what does that do for inventories down the road for chips uh, across mm. the industry? So a lot of those things are, are uh, I, I guess, interplay. But to your point, Morgan, I agree that it's, it's been hard so far to refute outright the transitory idea that we did have these calendar quirks, the easy comparisons and all the bottlenecks. Uh, Mike, got to ask you about the airlines. Uh, we did get some encouraging qualitative guidance out of Delta and American today about Q2 uh, load factors, um, revenue. Although the revenue number, the guidance out of Delta, Mike, total six to six point two billion is below. And I do wonder whether or not you think that accounts for some of the weakness today. Yeah, I would say it probably does account for it. Um, you know, it's been very difficult to handicap what's already based uh, baked into to this group. Um, something like UAL, enterprise values back to pre-pandemic highs, traffic isn't. And, you know, and that's been the, the interplay for a little, bit, a little while right now. So anything that says that things are not actually accelerating from here, maybe it's going to pinch. You know, we don't often talk as much about fuel prices when it comes to, uh, to airlines as much as we used to, but can't help uh, that obviously, uh, you know, oil's at the highs as well. So, um, you know, on a day when I think you are uh, looking for a little bit of a give back, uh, it makes sense that, the, you know, uh, airlines and transports might uh, be in for some calling. Yeah, uh, some halo effect, uh, bringing some of the retail names down as well on the heels of that. Mike, uh, thanks as always. Great to see you down there. We're, we're all a little bit jealous. Uh, we are up yeah. to 11 days now of alternating gains and losses on the NASDAQ. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. So much going on in the market. We all know about the corporate bond program that is going to, of course, be shuttered and the bonds sold. So much to talk about. If you look at a 6 a.m. Eastern start to 10s, you see all the volatility, both at 8.15 on ADP, a big number, and, of course, at 8.30 Eastern, when we not only had initial claims drop under 400,000, but we had a very positive revision to continuing claims, posting it at a post-COVID low. If you look at a week-to-day chart, it's pretty obvious that we are sliding a bit, but this definitely pulled us back up. And one thing I can say with quite certainty, and that is if you look at a two-month chart, we are just, it's like pointing right to 160 on the right side, just literally pointing there. That is a key technical area. Call it home base. Call it where the market would like to come to rest. But that's where all the volume seems to be. And ultimately, markets move to where the volume is the highest. And as they start to move away from it, you can get momentum. That's the part two we're waiting for. And I'll tell you, something happened in Japan we need to talk about. 
you know, their bond market is basically a shadow of its once vibrant self. It trades by appointment only. And to that end, their, their sovereign secondary market didn't trade at all yesterday, uh, Tuesday. It hardly traded at all on Wednesday. And today they had an auction and basically nobody showed up. The weakest demand in five years. So their primary market is a downer. Their secondary market's almost non-existent. And their currency, well, the dollar yen, this is a two-month chart. The dollar is doing very well against it. Here's a euro yen chart, four years. You can see how strong the euro is against the yen. And the dollar index is trying to make a bit of a comeback here. But do remember, the euro figures highly in its valuation. The yen does not. Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. Uh, Rick Santelli, still to come, uh, from theater openings to the AMC frenzy, a lot to talk about with the CEO of IMAX, Rich Gelfand. That's coming up later this morning. Uh, Dow's down 250. We have a halt on AMC for volatility, which is now back to 50. We're back in a moment. Well, we might be 18 minutes into trading, but we already have a halt, or we did have a halt that just lifted on AMC Entertainment, that stock is down 22% right now, back under $50 a share. We've got more squat on the street on the other side of this break as we continue to watch the meme trading. What Adam Aaron did the other day, the CEO was brilliant. He's growing the company. He has shares that he can offer uh, to be able to really buy pretty much any theater in the world or any chain. Uh, and I think he's going to do that. Adam is a fantastic manager, but what he really knows how to do is, is run a stock. And it's simply brilliant. That's Kramer with us yesterday on Tech Check talking about AMC and the prospect or the likelihood, perhaps, of them eventually buying a rival chain like IMAX. Uh, to respond to that, perhaps, let's bring in Rich Gelfand, the CEO of IMAX, who joins us this morning. Richard, it's always good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Carl. Thanks for having me. So I love. All right, so we're, um, we're in some. <laughs> no, I was going to say we're in some extraordinary times, and I'm I'm sure you heard that bite. I mean, what's your, what is your reaction to something like that? Yeah, I mean, IMAX isn't for sale. Adam's a very good friend of mine. We talk all the time, but I do think Jim made a really excellent point that he's got all that cash and he's got lots of things to do with it, and you know, no one's talked about. You know, who benefits besides Adam and AMC, but they're one of our largest partners in the world. We have a backlog of 100 theaters set to open with them. Now that they're flush with cash, part of reopening those theaters is renovating them. So that's all really good for IMAX. Their former parent company, Wanda, sold their stake. They're our biggest partner in the world in China. That's good for IMAX. Adam said publicly that he may acquire other, other um, theater chains or other theaters. In fact, I can confirm that um, he's looking at some smaller things to do, and we're included in that, putting IMAX theaters in, in some of those complexes he's looking at. So, you know, whatever's going on in the world and whether, whether it's rational or not, I know that one beneficiary of it has been IMAX and our shareholders. Yeah. I know you were on Squawk a few days ago and you were talking about the summer slate, uh, Quiet Place 2. We got F9, uh, Jungle Cruise, Black Widow, you name it. I wonder um, at what point do you think we will have enough signposts to know what summer box office is, in fact, going to look like? 
So I think we have enough, Carl, to know globally what it's going to look like. And as I've said you know, before on CNBC, when you look at the openings in places like China and Japan and Korea, it's consistent with previous years when things were healthy. And in some cases, like China, Chinese New Year's was 30 percent up from its record year. So we have those data points. Unfortunately, North America was slow to reopen. And as you point out, there's a lot of good films to come. But most of those films really come out in the third and fourth quarter. So I think if you're going to look at comps on a per film basis, so like Memorial Day weekend, uh, which just passed, was the best opening since before the pandemic, we're seeing a trend. But if you, your question is really when do things get back to normal in North America, I think it'll be more like the third and fourth quarter. That's when we have Bond, Top Gun Maverick, Dune, a couple Marvel films. That's when it'll really be back to normal. Hey, Richard, it's David. You know, I was listening to you list all the ways you benefit, perhaps, from AMC. Uh, obviously, maybe you want to become a meme stock, too. But when you question whether it's rational, I mean, there is no question. Is there here, Richard? This is irrational. You know your way around fundamental valuation. There's no possible way you can argue that this company was worth, at the open today, $30 billion. That's not enterprise value. That's just equity value. So, David, you know, I know you for a long time. We're... We're not 25 years old. We do know what traditional uh, methods of valuation are. And there's no question this does not fit into the traditional valuation box. And I give Adam credit this morning. He even said that in his own statement. However, it's a new world, which I don't pretend to understand. And there are different factors. And um, myself on my own investment side, I've missed a lot of the trends because of my older ways of thinking about the, these things. But, you know, there are new models, and I can't opine on how they fit or not. <laughs> new mo- uh, come on, Richard. Older ways of thinking about things are just what you think about multiple to earnings and multiple to revenues and per theater revenues. And, yeah, those are the old ways, but those are the ways you actually value a business. If you were ever to consider buying it, which, of course, everybody who's buying a share is, in fact, doing, uh, I don't know. I mean, all right, I'm an old guy. You're an old guy. So what? We, we don't get it anymore? Yeah, maybe we don't get it. I mean, you know, my um, my stepson said to me at the beginning of the year, you're an idiot. You should put all your money into Tesla. And I said, you know what? It's had such a run. It trades more than so many auto companies put together. There's going to be competition. And he looked at me and laughed and shook his head and said, you just really don't get it. So. You know, and what percentage gain did I miss out on, David? So I can't disagree with you based on traditional valuation matrix. It doesn't make sense to me. But the market's in a different place right now. Well, you were directionally correct, Rich. Uh, Ford has well outpaced Tesla uh, since uh, last July, but certainly the year to date. Um, Rich, we look forward to a lot more conversations about uh, these amazing times in your industry. Great to see you. Thanks. Thanks, Carl and David. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager. 